This is the SFF Audio Podcast. This is Jesse. And I'm Scott. Rick. And I'm Rick. There you go. The Time Traveler. <laughs> All right. The Time Traveler is with us today. He is... Uh, uh, plumbed the depths of time to be with us today, so we really appreciate it. Hey, He's not the time plumber. <laughs> <laughs> the time plumber. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure. It's kind of like the time sometimes, doctor. You know? Sometimes the uh, time machine gets backed up, and I have to get the plunger out. So. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very small, you know, the, very small. Heck yeah! Heck we'll yeah! We'll stop there. So, so what's going on, guys? Not much. So talk to us about your podcast. Oh, the podcast. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, go ahead. The, the Time Traveler show has been around for a few years now, and it seems to come in and out little, goes in these little brief pod fades and comes back. Well, brief. If you, six months is brief. <laughs> 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 to a Time Traveler, it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we have on the show is usually vintage fiction, science fiction, read by a guest reader. I usually do a little bit of hosting, talking about the stuff before it comes on. And uh, we've had some great guest readers. And right now I've been kind of alternating the shows with a vintage recording of a famous science fiction author. Like I've had Arthur C. Clarke, Isaac Asimov, uh, Jack Williamson, Fred Pohl have all been on the show. And the fiction has ranged from uh, Philip K. Dick, Mac Reynolds, uh, you know, from the very famous to the lesser famous. Yeah. yeah very nice. solid authors. Very good mm-hmm. stuff. And yeah, some, of the, uh, some, some of the readers I've had on the show have been like Scott Brick and uh, William DeFries. So I've gotten some really top-notch talent. And Mark yeah. Douglas Nelson, too. Mark Douglas Nelson and Sam Mowry and just some really good readers. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. You bet. Good podcast. Yeah, I loved your uh, podcast, the, the podcast that came out uh, after Arthur C. Clarke passed away. That was very well done and very well, very much appreciated. Well, thank you. That one yeah. did turn into a uh, project. You bet. <laughs> but it was really cool because I got to contact uh, uh, Stefan Rudnicki and uh, Scott Brick, and they, of course they sent me sound files that were included in the show. So, plus Arthur C. Clarke was on that show from uh, Old World Con, and yeah, it, it ended up turning out really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Yeah, and um, you also run Wonder Audio. So, yeah, give us a brief uh, summary of what well, that is. Well, Wonder Audio actually predates the podcast by a little bit, chronologically speaking. And uh, what it is is vintage, unabridged science fiction, also mysteries pretty soon. And uh, the, the podcast was kind of added on to promote the Wonder Audio titles, but they... The majority of them are different than what comes out on the podcast. There's a couple that were so good on the podcast, I did release as Wonder Audio titles. And so far, I think we got 24 titles up at Audible. And Mark Douglas Nelson and William, William Kuhn has read a number of them, as well as William DeFries and Stefan Rudnicki and uh, uh, some really other really fine narrators. Yeah, Matt yeah. Kelly does a couple, too. Yeah, Matt Kelly's really good. He's local. He's one I actually bring into my house to record, so those are a lot of fun. Oh, that's neat. 
Yeah, and these are really neat titles, too. Uh, Scanners Live in Vain by Cordwainer Smith. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. one. And got some Fritz Leiber. Yeah. 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 It's great. I'm just kind of flipping through here. Sheckley. Robert Sheckley. Love Robert Sheckley. <laughs> that's a great thing. Yeah, those are really good. Those are the, the, the novel, The Status Civilization, I need to get into your guys' hands. Mm -hmm. really, that's great. Really fun novel. In fact, i got to get a lot of those titles into your hands. So where can someone get some of these titles? Uh, you can go to audible.com slash wonderaudio, okay. or you can go to the Wonder Audio website, wonderaudio.com, okay. and just click on the link that says uh, audiobook downloads or audiobook something. Audiobook titles. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I've also been uh, started publishing e-books a lot. Which oh, no kidding. Kind of, I didn't know that. Yeah, they're uh, they're available at Fiction Wise, and I just got them up on Amazon, so you can download them for the Kindle now. Oh, neat! And if you if you go to WonderAudio.com and look at the link for eBooks, there's links to the the places that sell those. Okay, that is cool. Wonder so what what are you e doing on eBook here? E Edio. Yeah, um, some, some of the titles. It's public domain stuff, I guess, or the majority of it is. Yeah. Okay. Some of it I Ooh, had to get the some, rights. But. Oh, Frank Herbert and Andre Norton and Jack Williamson and Philip K. Dick. Great. Wow. Isaac Asimov and mm -hmm. Alfred Bester. Robert yeah. Block. That Alfred Bester, Phil man, Vincent. that's the one of the best recordings I've ever heard. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was uh, Pat Botini. Yep. Excellent guy. Yeah. Excellent reader. Yeah, atypical kind of. He's not your classic uh, kind of narrator. I think he's, he's awesome. He's got that little waver in his voice, and mm -hmm. for that one, it would just fit so well because he's kind of got that, uh, you know. It's, you, it yeah, feels, you can't pin him down. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. What's going on here? And he sounds kind of crazy, so it mm -hmm. works out really well. It works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's a crazy narrator, and it's a crazy story. Crazy man, yeah. crazy man. Those are my, those are my favorite kind. Yeah. <laughs> you bet. Okay. Awesomeness. Yeah. Okay, before we go any farther, i got to tell you the coolest book I'm looking forward to. It's coming up. It's not related to Wonder Audio. Um, but oh, let's you, talk about it then. Yeah, you guys, can, <laughs> you guys can get behind this. I'm pretty sure. Um, uh, I'm going to send you a link to it. Um, it's the first link on the list here. I think you're both going to want a special order to this just like me. Uh, wait, that's Rick. And where's Scott? I'm right here. No, I can't find you. <laughs> All right, there we go. On the Sumerian website, look at the first link. The first. Oh my God! Prejudice and <laughs> Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> By Jane Austen and Seth Graham Smith. Wow. It's the original text of Pride and Prejudice, done up with zombies. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies features the original text of Jane Austen's beloved novel with all new scenes of bone-crunching zombie action. As our story opens, a mysterious plague has befallen the quiet English village of Merton, and the dead are returning to life. Feisty heroine, Elizabeth Bennet, is determined to wipe out the zombie menace, but soon she's distracted by the arrival of a haughty and arrogant Mr. Darcy, who ensures... <laughs> who ensues... What? <laughs> What ensues is a delightful comedy of manners with plenty of civilized sparring between the two young lovers and even more violent sparring on the blood-soaked battlefield as Elizabeth wages war against the hordes of flesh-eating undead, complete with 20 illustrations in the style of C.E. 
Brock, the original illustrator of Pride and Prejudice. This insanely funny expanded edition will introduce Jane Austen classic to legions of new fans. Doesn't that sound like the most awesome book ever? <laughs> yeah. It's, that's funny. That's I even cool. like the cover. Yeah. You see her the classic cover of a Victorian lady with her skin missing. <laughs> All right, and this is at the the Sumerian dot com. Yeah, it's from Chronicle Books, which um, uh-huh. uh, I I've I've always found uh, they're sort of um, they make really slick looking books, um, lots of art books, lots of um, not so much well known from my my perspective, anyways, as a um, as a uh, publisher of fiction. Um, they do a lot of uh, sort of offbeat, beautiful stuff. It's a San Francisco-based publisher. Huh. Um, <laughs> but this is not an audiobook, right? No, no, and it sure should be. Somebody should get in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's coming out in April. <laughs> yeah, that looks crazy. Yeah, I'd definitely read some of it for sure. I, I It makes me want to read right before Pride, just regular Pride and Prejudice and uh-huh. then go in. And, and read it again. And I'm thinking yeah. this, like, this is a, the most brilliant idea, because there's lots of books out there that, you know, you sort of, you know, you should probably read it. You sort of wanted to read it, but you've lacked the that final push to get you to read it. Like, you know, War and Peace, really good book, but War and Peace and Martians, <laughs> that would be <laughs> like, wow, yeah, let's go for that. Oh, wow. There's got, there's got to be a whole line of of classic books that you just need a little a little extra push to get get you into it. Sure. Yeah, yeah I've got so, one one arrival to talk about. Go for it. One more arrival. Uh Ken Skoll's first novel, Lamentation. Um from Macmillan Audio. Mm-hmm. Um it's read by Scott Brick, William DeFries, Maggie Meg Reed and Stefan Rudnicki. Um it's a fantasy. So it's an epic fantasy. Ken Scholes is a wonderful short story writer. Um, I encourage everybody to check out Edward Bear and the Very Long Walk. Um, it's episode 146 of Escape Pod. That's just a, a really great story. Um, but anyway, this one's fantasy. That one's science fiction. Uh, here's the description of Lamentation. An ancient weapon has completely destroyed the city of Windweir. From many miles away, Rudolfo, lord of the nine forest houses, sees the horrifying column of smoke rising. He knows that war is coming to the named lands. Nearer to the devastation, a young apprentice is the only survivor of the city. He sat waiting for his father outside the walls and was transformed as he watched everyone he knew die in an instant. Soon, all the kingdoms of the named lands will be at each other's throats as alliances are challenged and hidden plots are uncovered. Here we go. It's the first of five novels. So, a series. Another fantasy series, yeah. Um, but yeah, Ken Scholes is a remarkable short story writer, like I said, so I'm anxious to check it out. Well, it's a multi, multi-cast reading. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of those, Jesse? Um, I, they, can, they can be good. They can mm-hmm. be good. I'm just... It's a, it's a lot more work. I'm wondering, um, like, it's, so Stefan Rudnicki, I'm looking at the list. Uh, this is a recent arrival. 
It says, you know, the Margaret Wieson, Tracy Hickman one is read by Stefan Rudnicki, mm-hmm. uh, Bones of the Dragon, and then Lamentations read by, you know, a whole bunch of people. I'm wondering how they make the decision, because not, I've not heard of either of these novels prior to uh, these releases. Mm-hmm. How do they well, make the decision? <clears throat> Bones of the Dragon is is brand new. We talked about that last week, but it's a brand mm-hmm. brand new first novel of a new series by Weiss and Hickman. Um, I know with um, a lot of the stuff that um, that Rudnicki and his shop do, if if there are clear changes in point of view in the writing, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know. I, I can't say that he always does this or that they always do this, but no, they don't um, always. Yeah, but if there's clear uh, changes in point of view throughout the book, you know, you can use different narrators for those, and I actually, I really like that. Um, but you, you need to make sure that, um, you know, all your narrators are competent, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Well, well, they, all they, they, all, they all have to be good. Yeah, and that's not a right. problem with these guys. Um, but Only one I, I don't know is Maggie McRead. We should also make clear that the, the multi-voice reading, you know, is, 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 there's almost two different... We need two terms, and, and I'm not sure how you differentiate, but one is an audiobook in which you have... Um, the multiple narrators reading different characters throughout the whole novel, and then the other method of a multi-narrator uh, reading is when you have narrators sections of the novel, and that's the way that these normally are. I don't know if Lamentation is that way, but I, I suspect that it is, that if a section of the novel is told from one character's point of view, that section is read by one narrator, and then if the next section of the book is told from another point of view, it's read by a different narrator. Mm-hmm. I, know, I know there are some books that I wish had been done that way, like uh, Game of Thrones. Um, that's a that would that be long sections. Like yeah, each chapter of Game hours. Of, each chapter of a Game of Thrones is is from a different character's point of view, and uh, all those Song of Ice and Fires are like that. It would have been that actually would have been a very good idea. Yeah, it would have been really good to. Uh, uh, you know, select narrators for each character, and then read just those chapters by those narrators. I think that would have made it uh, very interesting. Not that it wasn't anyway, but it, it would have made mm-hmm. it more interesting. No, yeah, I, I have, think that would have been. No, I have mixed feelings about the uh, multiple narrators like that. Sometimes, you know, it all depends on the book. Like Wonder talking. Audio hasn't done any, has it? No, no. I. Unless there's clear distinctions, like it's different first persons that are alternating, I I find it a distraction usually. Uh-huh. Of course, sometimes it fits nicely with the book, but a lot of times it's like oh, I'm, you know, it pulls me out of the book because I'm thinking, why did they switch narrators here? Mm. And I've abandoned more than one of those just because I've become too distracted with mm-hmm. changing the narrators. Uh, have you heard um, the Ender's Game? Um, well, no. no. No? no. Okay. That's that's probably the one that convinced me that it was a really it could really work. Um, and then the other one to try is the full cast audio, which yeah, is I was, I was gonna basically mention, a stage play. I was going to mention full cast audio because full cast yeah, that's a, audio. That's a yeah, they it's a different style and and they use characters to to uh, or they use different actors to portray each character in the novel. So every time a character says something, no matter what the point of view of the narrative is, that character says those lines. And I gotta tell you, I absolutely hated those. I mean, everyone that we got into SFF Audio was 
practically unlistenable in my opinion. Um, because, yeah, I'm serious. I'm not talking about full cast audio. Full cast audio is brilliant. Oh. Full cast audio is wonderful, and they and they've they just completely changed my mind on that. But normally, what you'd have is, uh, you know, somebody would say a line in anger, and then the narrator would say. He said. Angry. He said in anger. Yeah, and I, and and that would just drive me insane. You know, I I just didn't want to hear it. But um, full cast audio, I don't have that problem with. Um, full cast audio, um, maybe it's because of the quality of the narration, um, and and the ones that we were getting in before were not of high quality. Um, but full cast audio, I I wholeheartedly recommend anything by full cast audio without any reservation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they changed my mind on that. Well, if you read it in the back of the cover, sometimes they say they remove the taglines because they are they are kind of stupidly redundant. They have he said yeah. angrily. You know, yeah, yeah. I think they're almost redundant in in any audiobook that isn't just a straight reading. You know, even if it's one narrator, if you got yeah, a narrator that is doing characterization, um, you know, the the attributives are not always needed. And, if it's uh, well written, if it's mm -hmm. well written, it probably doesn't need it. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. It's only there to remind you. Sure. Um, uh, I know that um, there's some exceptions to uh, a style. You know, uh, if you've ever heard or read a um, Elmore Leonard uh, book, he's he loves to use said. You know, mm -hmm. uh, but he doesn't really even he, he doesn't even use names. He just says he said, she said, right. Um, and it becomes transparent even when you're listening to it because it's like a, um, it's a beat. You know, it's like a, ba 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 ba, he said, ba 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 ba, she said, and it's mm -hmm. like um, it's like a pattern uh, um, to give you a style, a feeling of of how he writes, and a lot of his stuff is very dialogue driven. It it really works well even in audio, uh, but he's very very careful to place to place it only where it's appropriate to create that style in your head and it becomes completely transparent you don't even notice it's there except that you're enjoying it mm -hmm. yeah and most of the writing advice that I've gotten over the years has always said you just want to say said <laughs> they don't mm -hmm. want to say he uh, he um, ex exclaimed or anything like that because that <laughs> That sticks out like a sore thumb, especially in audio. <laughs> I think it does anyway. Yep. Yeah, especially adding the adverbs too, like angrily and, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> you bet. Yeah. Yeah, and there is, you know, like while we're talking about this, there is different styles of narration too, even if it's a single narrator. Um, you have narrators that are really just reading the text to you, and then you've got narrators that... Um, are performing the text to you, um, and it, you know. I, I guess you know. It's hard to say. You know what I prefer because if the performer is good, like say uh, um, Jim Dale from Harry Potter, um, if the performer is good, yeah, let him perform. <laughs> you know. Um, but, yeah. Uh, and 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 a person who does a straight reading can can get boring in a longer book. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Different styles for different books is always, uh, you know, a good, good way to, you know, it all depends on the book. And, you know, we get multi, we get different versions of the same book come out. And we listen to them, and they have different approaches. 
and you know both of them can have merit for the same book it's not necessarily there's one right way to do something sure mm. and then there's Jim Dale who does a phenomenal job but his Hermione this <laughs> kind of correct me <laughs> yeah like, oh yeah. Harry Harry <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind yeah. of made me laugh or heard it, it by the time I got to the last. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Stephen Fry it read the, the Harry Potter audiobooks in the UK. And uh, um, he's, a, he's a different style and area. He's absolutely excellent. Um, I'm not sure why, you know, Jim Dale got lots of recognition for that. You know, probably just maybe Stephen Fry did in the, in the UK too. But he's, he's a different style of reader. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's kind of strange. Why would they have... Uh, they both have British accents. Yeah, I'm not really <laughs> sure why. Yeah. Different. Well, different you, actually, you know what? I do know why. Because they they edited the UK version of um, the Harry Potter books for the United States audience. And they're minor, minor edits. But, you know, uh, an obvious thing is the, the title of the first book is The Sorcerer's Stone in the United States and the Philosopher's Stone in the UK because so they probably don't think we like philosophers in the United States. I don't know they, why. No, it's but the, the things I actually took the first book... As, a, as related to fantasy. Uh-huh. Right? A sorcerer's Stone is not... Act, there's no actual thing called the Sorcerer's Stone. Mm-hmm. However, there is this thing called the Philosopher's Stone, but it doesn't indicate fantasy. Uh-huh. So they didn't keep the name. That's the only one they, they changed the, yeah, the uh, only one they changed the title. Title of. Yeah. But so, they took out they also took out uh, all the lorries that are in this story and replaced them with trucks. Yeah. Because yeah. obviously you can't figure out what a lorry is. Right. And that's what I was too gonna, stupid because yeah, you're an American way, way what a stupid system to change the books. I know. I I, mm-hmm. I think that's pathetic. I agree. Pathetic. I agree. And there there are minor things like that. You know, uh, if you listen to the first chapter um, which I did because I was wondering what was different and um, make like Harry Potter candy, American and set that, it in uh, New York. That's so stupid. I recall the candy that Dumbledore likes in the first scene of the first book is um, lemon sherbet or something in the British version, and then it's it's something else like a lemon drop or something. I can't recall exactly in the American one. Yeah. American kids just would never be able to figure that out. Yeah, and I, I, I was so very disappointed. So that's why you've got to have two versions of the audiobook, because one is British and one is American. The paper book up here is the same as the, U, the UK version, but the audiobook is the same as the American version. Oh, interesting. I never knew that. Yeah. Different publisher of the paper book, same publisher of the audiobook. Yeah. For here. Yeah. You know, um, another thing I'd like to bring up today is uh, you know we're talking about narrators in audiobooks but what about the book itself um, wouldn't you agree that some books should not be made into audio and if so if so what's the what's the criteria no picture books no picture books right comic books really suck too as audiobooks uh, well there's a whole there was one publisher well, there is one publisher who does a lot of that uh-huh. Well, I'm not um, talking about commentation. Well, those are audio. different. They're written for audiobooks and for books. Well, text. they're based on a comic book, though. Well, no, those are novels. That, those are novels written. Based no, on those, comic books. those are based on on a series, like a you know, like a six months of comics or something, like uh, you know, 
some sort of, uh, you know, how in the summer they do like, um, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earth or something like that. Uh A lot of those are like that. Oh, I thought those were novels. Well, I think they are novelized after. Oh. Mm -hmm. They're based on little um, runs, you know, to make you buy comics in the summer or whatever. Huh. They they have one every year, basically, at Marvel. Um, And DC, too, I think. Mm. Uh, Marvel's a little more crazy for it, but... Yeah. Well, I've got one. One example that leaps to mind is Anathem. Okay. (laughs) Don't you? I I I I don't know. You know that that book just doesn't seem audioable to me. It it would be okay on the second read. You know, maybe it's just long books. No, because so so it's complex. So it's it's almost like the the reading you know with your eyes somehow. That works, and but in audio, you're like, now what? What is he talking about now? Um, you know, and and, and I tried to listen to Anathem, you know, and I have not finished it. I haven't uh, gone any farther than the last time I talked about it. But what makes that not working on an audiobook? It's very well read. Um, Bill DeFries is one of the readers. Um, it's got a few different readers, um, but the Maybe section that I read was all Bill DeFries. I never changed narrators that I recall. Um, but I don't know. But sometimes, sometimes you do, when you're reading a text, you can back up. And you go, what the hell is he talking about? Where mm-hmm. audio is much harder to do that, obviously. I never do it myself. Uh-huh. Unless it's like all the way to the beginning of the chapter or something. Because yeah. I wasn't paying attention. But uh, Yeah, and things that lack dialogue, like for 45 minutes to an hour and there's no dialogue between characters those can be pretty tough audiobooks to listen to too well, sure that's a good that's a good that. point there's exceptions to that all sure. all the hp lovecraft stuff's that way you know mm-hmm. yeah and that I, works really well yeah uh, when wayne part of my problem with hp lovecraft i think oh uh, so have jesse, you heard the wayne your, is your theory then jesse that um boy you know just about any book can be made into an audiobook it's just finding the right style I think I think there's uh, something to that. I, 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 the example I would say is, you know, if you've read the the paper book version of the Demolished Man, mm-hmm. um, you can see that there are some things in there that would obviously not easily lend themselves to representation in audio. You know, there's there's playing on the page, the layout, and whole names use uh, special cases. Uh, you know, special you know the at symbol and such. Mm-hmm. Um, it it wouldn't obviously lend itself well to audio, except it does, and it works perfectly. But uh, by the same token, you know what you're saying with Anathem, uh, maybe it's better for re-listening. Uh, you know, once you've read it, mm-hmm. perhaps that's true. I, I when I read uh, Demolished Man, I read it first in paper and then enjoyed it. Uh, audio after but i think basically it's it's like saying you know you you shouldn't some books shouldn't be adapted to braille i just don't think uh there's that much difference if they're words Mm -hmm. right it it might be that the way you sit down and read anathem is not the way you sit down normally read a regular book and maybe that's the problem is you're treating uh an audiobook um, the way you would re- treat uh, a regular short novel, 
which mm-hmm. is, you know, you consume it over a space of a week or so. And it doesn't seem like anybody can do that with an Atham. It's just too long. Yeah, yeah. Not sure. I'm sitting here looking up uh, The Demolished Man on audio. I didn't even know it existed on audio. Yeah, uh, out of the UK. Out of the UK, huh? Wow. Yeah. I'd love really to hear good. that. Is that audible? Uh, I don't good. think it's on audible. No, I've got a, I've got it on cassette. Is Somewhere. it unabridged? Yep. It's amazing. Wow. That's a good Yeah, you know the one that isn't done by him is the other one. Um, the Start My Destination? Yeah. Um, I believe it may be out now, but I, I haven't got it. Um, and it's only out in the UK if it is out. Yeah, that's an excellent. Those both are a couple of my favorites. Oh, yeah, ah. they're wonderful. Amazing, amazing book. So I, uh, speaking of uh, narrators, I'm, I've been listening to, uh, you know, I've been listening to um, the Dean Koontz Phantoms, and I just suddenly realized uh, about halfway, th- more than halfway through the book now, I realized who the narrator reminds me of. Um, and it's really funny, now Now when I'm listening to it, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking it's, he's totally like, like this guy, and um, he totally reminds me of Mel Blanc, you know? <laughs> Uh, when you're a kid and you're watching all those, uh, I guess it's, it's Warner Brothers? Yeah, Warner Brothers cartoons. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't realize that it's all the same guy when you're a little <laughs> kid. Um, it's like one guy talking himself, performing everything, right? Uh, Elmer um, Fudd. Yeah, Elmer Fudd and Bugs Bunny and oh, oh. every he character. Did, he, did, he didn't do Elmer Fudd. That was a different what? guy. What? Yeah, Elmer, Mel Blanc didn't do Elmer Fudd, except in the, the later ones, which are in a horrible Elmer Fudd. Really? He couldn't do um. Yep, it's a different guy. I didn't know that. Wow. Things you learn something. Uh-huh. Yeah. So is that is that Michael Kramer? Uh no, no, it's not. It's a guy I'd never um, heard before. Huh. Um, it's uh, Buck Sh- uh, Scherner. Hmm. And um, I'm I'm really liking him, but it's striking. He he actually has sort of a Mel Blanc esque voice. Uh, and he does all the, you know, he does a lot of voices, a lot of changes to his voice, like Mel Blanc does, uh, to distinguish between, you know, accents and ages and that sort of thing. But when, once you key into the fact that it's just one guy plus Elmer Fudd, <laughs> um, you would say, you know, oh, that's all the same guy. And sometimes it's more noticeable than others, right? Uh, when when he's perform when uh, Mel Blanc does Bugs Bunny. Um, it, it's, uh, it's, it, you don't even think of him as Mel Blanc, but you can sort of see, he's got maybe seven or eight other voices that he can apply to just about anyone else, and, uh, it's really, it's really fun. I like that. That's what, one of the things I like about single narrators, is, you know, they can, they can perform the entire book, and it's like a, uh, it's like a one-man show. Mm-hmm. You know who's a voice actor that's got that ability is, uh, oh, what's his name? He does Futurama and uh, Billy West. Right. Yeah, he does sure. Fry, he does Dr. Zoidberg, and he does mm-hmm. The Professor, and none of them sound the same. No, he does a great job. He'd be a great narrator. He's done many, many other cartoons. Mm-hmm. Oh, neat. I don't think there's that many um, crossovers between... Uh, cartoon uh, 
voice actors and um, audiobooks. I think there's, uh, you know, William Dufresne is the voice of uh, who? Bob the Builder? Bob the Builder, yeah. 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 Uh, that's basically about it as far as I, I can. I got a couple of uh, Wonder Audio titles that have uh, Tara Platt, who does anime voiceover. Okay. And I also have a couple that I'm trying to get the... I had an issue with rights with... has uh, uh, Yori Lowenthal, who does the voice of Ben 10 now. Okay. Cartoon Network, big show there. Yeah. And he's also on Naruto, which is a huge show. And uh, But I have uh, some issues with the rights on that that, you know, early publishing, and I made a couple mistakes there. Okay. <laughs> wasn't sure of my uh, public domain laws there in that one. Uh-oh. Um, I actually got a question. Um, somebody was asking me, and I, I thought I'd save it for you. <laughs> um, since you're my go-to do guy. I have, do I have to preface this that I'm not a lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, uh, I haven't done any research on this, but I wanted to ask you. Um, Bill Holweg was asking asking me if uh, Ashton Clark Smith, uh, Clark Ashton Smith, was uh, all public domain. Do you have any idea? Um, old. Actually, I don't know if he's. Tell. You can't tell because he published a lot of his stuff. Like for instance, in Weird Tales, and right. Weird Tales would sometimes buy the full rights to stories, and sometimes they didn't. They bought the full right. rights then it would still be copyrighted because they renewed their copyright for all their magazines. So everything that was published in that magazine that they bought the full rights to would actually still be copyrighted. That's where things like Robert E. Howard, who's, although he's been dead for over 75 years, people think it's public domain. Well, if Weird Tales bought the full rights and then they renewed those rights for the magazine, then they actually still own the copyright to some of, you know, H.P. Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard. Although I understand... H.P. Lovecraft was known not to sell his full rights at a certain point in his career, so mm. those you can safely assume are in public domain. It's all very complicated. Um, well, I think I think we're pretty safe in um, in that Robert E. Howard's been published by just about everybody, um, and uh, he's dead. Well, he no Gutenberg, I don't uh, think Gutenberg's putting their titles up because of that. Um, yeah, because it's their copyright law. But if you notice, yeah. the U.S. Gutenberg. Yeah, you're, you're right. There are issues with that. Now, if you're a publisher in Australia, I'm sure it's fine Yeah, to publish the Robert E. Howard books, but not in the United States. Or so is that why we haven't seen any Wonder Audio uh, uh, Howard? Uh, yeah, that's partly or is it. it partly or is it that it's not your bag? It's partly that. I mean, I, I grew up reading a lot of Conan, and I enjoyed it, but now when I go back to it, it seems like... Uh, kind of slog through some of the descriptions and sometimes, you know, I don't know if you've, you've noticed that. It's but. not perfect, uh, no, but there's perfect. lots of other stuff other than Conan, too. Um, right. Lots of uh, his and the other, stuff. The really other good. reason is that there's not a real shortage of Howard out there, I wouldn't say. You know, there's other publishers no, that are... No, that's true. That's true. So I'm, you know, some of the stuff, it's there's stuff out there that I love that nobody ever put out on audiobooks, so it's like, oh, I can't believe there's, like, no Sheckley out there, you know, things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So, that's awesome. I'm I'm glad. Uh, it, it, you seem to have really good taste. I mean, basically, I, I whenever I see something come out from Wonder Audio, that's really cool. I want to read that. Well, thank you, thank you. I don't know. You just modeled yourself after my brain or something. 
<laughs> compliment you is a compliment to me. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> you want to hear some of the titles I got coming out? Yeah, yeah. Um, the Weapon Shops of Isher by A.E. Van Vogt. Is it Isher or Isher? Oh, we're pronouncing it Isher. <laughs> okay. If it's Isher. Why, why, why Isher? I would, I would say Isher, like uh, Fisher. <laughs> Sometimes you just make a judgment call on those things. You know, you know author's names, you can kind of find out, you know, if the common consensus how to pronounce other things like, you know, A. Van Vogt is, Vogt is no longer with us, so I can't ask him personally. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but that's I, a novel that came out during the Golden Age. Yeah. And, it's, and also... Series, see, isn't it? Series? It was published. He he, he would publish um, a series of stories and link them together. Mm-hmm. Called, he called it a fixed fixed up. Fixed up, and, yeah. Uh, and uh, most of it, you can tell that it all flows together. And there's a couple, like a prologue and an epilogue and stuff. It seems mm-hmm. like they're from different stories that he worked in. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a, it's a novel. It's definitely a novel. Cool. Uh, yeah, one's read by William Kuhn, which i got to get you some William Kuhn stuff. Mm-hmm. No, I've heard him. He's good. And let's see. Stefan Rudnicki does The Quest for St. Aquin by Anthony Boucher. Oh, I have That's not a, read that. It's a short story. It's like in the Science Fiction Hall of Fame. Oh. And, you know, it's a very good story. Well, it would and be, of course, Stefan. It's got a lot of gravitas, so Stefan was... Stefan. How do you pronounce his name? Stefan, I think. Yeah, right. I Stephen. think it's okay. Stefan. Okay, yeah, I've been saying it right, I guess. Um, <clears throat> but uh, that's a very good... It, there's also a short story after it called They Bite by Anthony Boucher, which is more of a horror story. It was originally appeared in Unknown Worlds. And let's what, see. What was that one called? They Bite. They Bite, it's, okay. It's like a semi-classic. It's been anthologized, anthologized like six times or something. You know, it's been a... It's it's a it's a favorite, and let's see. I got something called the Four Sided Triangle by William F. Temple, which is kind of a semi classic from the Golden Age by a British writer. Okay. I have a British narrator Tim Rowe to read that one, and let's see. I just I just assigned this novel to uh, Mark Douglas Nelson. He'll like this story. Three days later, he sends me the files and say oh here it is it's done <laughs> i swear to god the guy has more more uh audiobook in him than there is day in a in 20 you know hours in a day yeah i thought that was pretty funny because i just heard you guys talking about him on the last podcast and then that's i like assigned him the story and he's like well i had three days off so here it is it's like wow, wow. that's amazing he's got like the ultimate work ethic you know yeah yeah he gives you quality stuff too. He sure like, does. Yeah, he's like a. Un, it's amazing how how quick he can do it. How how good he does it. Um, you know, he, he's got. He also, you know, when he picks his own stuff, he he picks good stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm always amazed. Wow. Yeah, and you haven't heard any Mark Nelson, have you? I have not. Scott. I have not. I'm going to send you, Scott, the link to the status stabilization. Great. That Robert okay. Sheckley. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll upload it somewhere and give you a link. So yeah, I love Sheckley. That. I absolutely love that guy. <laughs> or the Sheckley trilogy is really good too. Uh-huh. There's that, which is 
stories, obviously. Short stories. Yeah. Yeah. Mark one of those. Was. One of those is is uh, amazing. It's. Uh, um, that's in. I first found it in the Robert Silverberg anthology. You know the one I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rick. I'm blanking right now. Um. Uh. It's like a Robert Silverberg how to write. Uh, science fiction. Oh, yeah. One yeah. one. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it changed was previously title. called Worlds Worlds of Wonder, I think it was called. Yeah, it's Worlds of Wonder. Um, and then it was called Science Fiction 101. Yeah, that that's basically my favorite collection. Uh, because not only does he uh, pick some amazing, amazing stories, he also writes a whole essay uh, about why each story is so great. And it's not necessarily, you know, uh, how to write a story like this. It's more like, look at what this guy did. Look at what this guy did. It's amazing work. And uh, I'm blanking on the name. It's called The Monsters, is it? No, it's... Yeah, The Monsters I, by Robert Sheckley. I got the book right here. The, the oh. Monsters... Okay, The Monsters appeared in another... The A for Alien. A oh, for Alien, I'm sorry. Which was read by... My God. Man, it's my own title. <laughs> I had three different narrators in that one. And, uh, oh, it was Pat Bottini. Uh, maybe that's another reason why I liked it. Yeah, he read that. Uh, Bottino, Bottino. Bottino. Pat Bottino. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Sheckley trilogy has Keep Your Shape, The Seventh Victim, and uh, Specialist are the three stories on that. Terrific. Great. We should get you to write the, uh, the Sheckley page. Uh, for our um, uh, author section. Yeah, well, as soon as I have time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, second, second one of the things we talked about that we didn't talk about is uh, one of the things we talked about that we didn't talk about. That sense. One of the things we didn't talk about was well, that I'm speaking, a, uh, chronologically, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, as an editor at sffaudio.com, mm-hmm. I have the title of senior editor. So I, thought uh, I, was, I don't know about that. Uh, maybe. <laughs> no, I was just going to drop a bomb on Emeritus. You I think you're emeritus, aren't you? <laughs> it, it'd be more applicable. Um, I th- I'm, I'm going to just bow out on the aud- being an editor there. Yeah, well, you haven't done any posting lately. <laughs> so. Might as well, right? <laughs> how, about, yes. how about some reviews? Any reviews coming? <clears throat> in my head, I got a lot of them. <laughs> got to get them down uh, in text, or I guess you know, you could do. No, I, th- I, it's just you know, you prior prioritize things, and you guys know how much I love the site and everything, mm-hmm. your site, and uh, but I just, I just, uh, it's always gets to the back burner, and then I've always got something more pressing to do. So I think it's time for me to step aside and say, I don't, I know it's, it's I'm leaving you guys with a heavy workload, all the stuff I've been doing lately. <laughs> Oh, well, I, I, for one, greatly appreciate your service. <laughs> Thank you for well, stepping in and, and doing all that. That was great of you. I believe you get to pardon someone on your way out, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> you better pardon yourself for getting us into uh, 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 Iraqi audiobooks and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> audiobooks for Gitmo. It's a new uh, uh, promotion we ought to do. Oh, <laughs> uh, little brother by Cory Doctorow. There yeah, you go. There you go. <laughs> that won't fit. I think. I think by the bay. That's yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Actually, that's a really guys, good. Yeah, it's I'm really about good. I'm about ready to tackle that one again. Um, I listen to it. It's good. Yep. I just saw Corey last weekend. Oh yeah. At a science convention. Yeah. I got I recorded some panels and stuff he was on and uh, oh, we were cool. supposed to have an interview but the programming kind of dropped me. <laughs> it was a little <laughs> visible. Darn. Um, yeah. We should also mention uh, your new uh, presidential status. Now that you've yes. gone on to lower and lesser things from SFF audio, <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the uh, or bigger and better, take. I guess. I had to. Uh, that's part of the give and take here. All um, right. So I had to drop something. Uh, yes, uh, Science Fiction Oral History Association is an organization that's been around since uh, the 1970s. Um, Lloyd Biggle, who was science fiction author, Junior. Junior, yes. Michael Junior? Yes. He wrote The Toonsmith, and Orson Scott Card's a big fan of Lloyd Biggle Jr. Uh, he was, he was uh, in the organization for many years and was the main impetus behind it. But he wanted to have a historical record of, these, of science fiction conventions, mainly. Mm-hmm. Of the readings and panel discussions and speeches. And so they started back in the 70s on reel-to-reel and cassettes and stuff. And the, th- the, the organization have kind of laid low for a while, and then it came on to fellow times where, uh, like, a past president has passed away. I hope that's not a jinx or something. I hope it's not a curse. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, they were just sitting in someone's basement for the longest time, and it kind of got resurrected a few years ago. And the, the recent president just had to step down because of, I, I live in the Detroit area, and the job market is, as it is elsewhere in the country, but particularly here is terrible and she had to move out of town and she just decided it was time to step down so they asked who would be the president you know among the board and i'm just kind of a volunteer there and it was one of those like three stooges things where they asked for a volunteer to step forward <laughs> everybody else stepped back and i was still standing there. <laughs> but no really you know I'm, I'm i'm glad to do it it was just the time you know it's like hey i'll do this but you realize you know i'm i got a lot of things on my plate right now but the idea of the organization was to preserve the history of the recordings of, you know, all these different concepts of just science fiction writers talking and the, the things you hear at conventions can be really fascinating and mm-hmm. well worthwhile. And their main concern at first was to send these out to universities, these recordings to universities for an archive so researchers could access them. And, of course, this is before the Internet and the web and everything back then. Mm-hmm. So bring it into the 21st century <clears throat> we have a goal of setting up a website there is a website at sfoha science fiction oral history association dot org and but it's just mainly just text up there right now and my thing was hey let's bring this into the 21st century let's put it on the web so everybody can hear it mm-hmm. now there's there are some issues with rights and stuff so we can't just release everybody's recordings all at once but <clears throat> most most authors and estates of authors are really cool about this. You know, you just approach them and they say, yeah, sure, go ahead and use it. Because not only is it the historical value, obviously there's a, it's a happy byproduct is promoting the author's books and stuff. So mm. that's true. So right now we're looking for, we're looking for volunteers because I obviously can't do it along, alone. And we got a few people on the board, but we really need a lot more volunteers. I'd like to see a community grow an online community, kind of like a, you know, a Wikipedia-type community open to the people to do the recordings, 
get the permissions, do all kinds of webmaster. Hey, Scott. Hey. And <laughs> well, you're talking to me about it. I mean, it seems very worthwhile to me. And Scott, you go to a lot of conventions too, so no, not a lot. I, I I go to the local ones. I've been to but one. That's good. Yeah. That's good though. If uh-huh. you just go to the local, well, which one did you go to, Jesse? Uh, Worldcon 2006. If, if you're going to go to one, that's the way to do it. Yeah, I'm thinking of Worldcon <laughs> 2009. What do you think? It's, it's in Montreal. Your, it's in your country. That's why I can go to it. I don't have to get my passport renewed. <laughs> Well, I'm thinking of going myself, but I don't know if I can swing it. Well, think about it. Yeah, yeah. Not that far from you. But, but one thing, we're, we're talking with the con organizers up there about trying to get as much recorded as we can at the World Con. I'd be but great. I would love to see, one of my personal goals to see is to see like most of the panels and most of the cons actually be on the site. Absolutely. Why not? You know, they yeah. should be. With the... As far as, you know, people having portable recording devices, they're, they're out there, you know. People have them. And it's a great way to meet authors and just open up conversation as to, hey, can I record this? Hey, can you look at this form to sign? You know, it's, we're just having it rewritten into the, the release form to have, like, the Creative Commons language in there to release them. So yeah. it's a great way. I mean, I've, I've, I went to a con, and I've... I get to smooth with the authors a little easier, you know. It's like, and I can throw that old president. Hey, I'm president. <laughs> <laughs> with a tongue-in-cheek, of course. That's right. Well, that's great. I think that's terrific. That is a If anybody's interested in one, you guys can contact me at timeshowhost at gmail.com, or you can follow the links at the Science Fiction Oral History website, which is sfoha.org. I'm just looking at the uh, recent acquisitions there. It says, uh, Stephen H. Silver donated a CD of MP3s of the Guest of Honor speeches from uh, 1965, 1968, 1979, 2000, and 2004. Uh, I guess this is for all the world cons, is that right? Yes. Um, in fact, he, I think he's wrong on the 68. I think it was 1970. But that's the one that I put on the Time Traveler show. Right. With Robert Silverberg does the Gust of Honor speech. That was awesome. That's how I got that, and then and I got to email Robert Silverberg and you know exchange emails with him, which is in my nerdy way kind of exciting to me. <laughs> <laughs> totally ner- and totally nerdy and totally cool. You bet. Yeah. Wow. Very That's polite. Calls me Mr. Jackson. Uh, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> so when you write back, you just can't go, "Hey, Bobby, thanks a lot." You know, yeah. you know. Hey, thanks, Bob. Hmm. That's awesome. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think this is uh, a great idea. And, and I also plus, think there should be a podcast. I was going to go there. We are talking about a podcast. And I'm talking, you know, there's other podcasters listening to this and want to be podcasters. I'm, I'm thinking of having like a rotating host that comes in and do, does a few shows. And maybe someone else comes in and just, you know, intros and outros to these recordings. And they can plug their own podcast or whatever. Hey, you guys do a podcast. Yeah. How would you like to? I'm definitely in on that. That would be fantastic um, fun. Uh, yeah. uh, so basically what you're saying is the way it would work is somebody else records it, you podcast it? Well, they would have their own podcast. The, the SPOA organization mm-hmm. would have its own podcast. That's right. the podcast. But they'd have guest you guys, hosts. They would have guest hosts. Right. So it would have its own feed. 
and if you guys want to throw it in your, you know, if people want to throw it in their own feed, I have no problem with that, of course. Mm-hmm. It'll be released under Creative Commons. Yeah. Well, there's definitely some goodness in there, and that's, that's a great idea. Yeah, it's a wonderful idea. Right now, I'm uh, just researching some of the different hosting companies, so I'm, I'm pretty much ready to go on that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I want to just, I think I would just want to throw up a WordPress type uh-huh. yeah. Uh, yeah. face for first, anyways. Uh-huh. We're talking about having like a wiki in the background for members to upload and, you know. I, I've been wondering about a wiki that plugs into WordPress, but I haven't seen one. Yeah, I think that we're going to it'll be a separate kind of module thing to the website. Mm-hmm. Hey, okay. I wanted to mention a couple titles I've listened to lately that I didn't sure. review. Sure, yeah, please do. Uh, Tobias Bakel's Sly Mongoose. Uh-huh. Oh, really good. Jonathan Davis. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jonathan Davis does it. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. one of the best narrators. I guess it's, you know, it's part of his, um, it's in the same universe as two previous novels to this one, uh-huh. but it doesn't matter. I never read those, and I totally got into this. Is that and, an Audible uh, Frontiers title? Yeah. Um, no, Macmillan. Macmillan, Macmillan. okay. Yeah. Uh, is, and, uh, was that a hard copy or um, through Audible? Audible I, is where I got it from. Yeah, I think it's an Audible exclusive, even it's, if it's not a... Oh, that could be. It's... um. Really good sense of wonder, fun science fiction, but really well written. You know, it's never clunky at all. Mm-hmm. Good writing with good sense of wonder values, good adventure, good characters. So what, what, you know, is, it's, uh, what is the setting? You say it's a second novel. I haven't read any... Uh, it's a, it's a okay. third novel, but third this novel. one's... But the other two are different settings. Like, you know, oh. same universe, different different characters for the most part. Yeah, there, you don't have to read the other planet, stuff. It's right? floating, right. There's this planet that has, um, it's kind of like Venus, comparable to Venus, I guess. Mm-hmm. Poisonous gas surface. But if you float like 100,000 feet, 100, feet in the air, they have these floating cities. And uh, the one kid, th- this one city has really poor infrastructure. It's kind of, things are going bad there. And this 14-year-old kid goes like in this deep, deep sea diving suit to the surface to get an element they absolutely have to have, which I can't, escapes me now why they had to go down there. Meanwhile, there's it's, it's, there's a lot of things going on. There's another guy who falls through the atmosphere. There's, he's on the ship, you find out. And the, shop, the ship, the, the crew gets taken over by, by an alien life form that turns everybody into zombies. So we got <laughs> zombies. So that's a good, good thing, thing going for it. <laughs> None of it's tongue-in-cheek. You know, it's all done very seriously. Uh-huh. And this guy escapes the ship, and he falls through the atmosphere in the suit, and he hits the city. And there's damage done and everything, and this guy's pretty messed up, but he's kind of transhuman. You know, he can repair parts of his bodies and stuff, and he can, he can at least survive. Meanwhile, these zombies are starting to take over this planet. And there's an alien on the surface down below that's kind of mysterious. We don't know what's going on down there. So there's a lot of different elements, and they all work together. I'm not going to, you know, try to cover too much of the plot, but it, it's it's sounds good, it's excellent. Yeah, it's just excellent. sounds original. Another one I just read was I mentioned a minute ago, Little Brother by Cory Doctorow, which is a subversive book in a good way. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I asked him about. Well, I have to tell you a little bit about it. It takes place in the near future. There, he's in San Francisco. This kid of 18, I believe, 
and there is a bombing, a terrorist bombing. And the the NSA, is that right? National What's Security that? Agency? NSA? Yeah. It's the government. Uh, no, I think it was the Homeland Security, wasn't it? Okay, yeah. DHS. Department of Homeland Security. Yeah, yeah. DHS comes in and just kind of grabs a bunch of suspicious people, and this kid is one of them. And he gets put in a prison in solitary, and they they infiltrate him. And, but anyways, eventually he's released, and it's kind of his battle back against against the organization because they're stomping all over the Bill of Rights and all that stuff. So, you, you know, if, you, if you're politically very conservative, it might be kind of upsetting if, if you've just been horrified that the way the country's been run in states here. Yep. Uh, you, you'll find it refreshing. But it, it, was, it was well read, and it's a good book. It, it, it's got a, sometimes Cory Doctorow's got another style. A lot of his science fiction is very tech-heavy, uh, cyberpunk-ish, hard to, you can, it's kind of, sometimes it, it gets so dense with stuff that you kind of lose the human element, where this book is totally not that way at all. It was published as a YA novel. What did you think of the info dumping that happens in it? I thought that that was, it kind of fit the book. Yeah. I mean, the, the book is there to kind of um, educate you about mm-hmm. this side of the story. So I did think that they did seem like info dumps in a way, but since it was done in first person, it, it was the kid saying it from you know what he was thinking, I thought it worked pretty well. I thought it was the classic awesome info dump, like not not trying to you know hide it. not trying to hide it, not trying to pretend like it's not necessary. Saying, listen, um, some really it's sort of essay-style writing, explaining a complex idea in a way that isn't stupid dialogue. Because really, that's the other choice. Is as you well know, Jim, uh, we are flying in this spaceship that can only go one quarter of the speed of light. You know, that's not the way to tell a story, right. because it's not. It doesn't <laughs> give you good information quick. And I guess it's all told first person, right? So yes. Um. I thought it was really well done, the info dumping, and I think that it sort of gets a bad rap because of that. I'm not saying this book does, but just info dumping in general. What do you think on the info dumping situation? Um, personally, I like like you said, I think it worked. I mean, it, and it, and it, especially in a YA novel, it's really trying to tell you something. I mean, it is trying to instruct you, and it never got to be. Sometimes I've read Heinlein, where you know, a juvenile Heinlein novel, where He's talking about star astrogation and stuff, and it, yeah. it's, it's like a science lesson that he's teaching the kids or something, and it's like, oh, my God, <laughs> what's the next section? You Wait, know, I didn't bring my really slide get, rule. <laughs> yeah, get your slide rule out and set it to zero. But yeah, it, it was, <laughs> it was it, I didn't get that sense from it. It was always, inter- I guess it was interesting info dumping. Maybe that's the difference. <laughs> it could be. I, I think, you know, Cory Doctor is very good at um, writing uh, um, informative essays uh, in general, if you've read some of his essays. And, and this yeah. is just, it's like a, a plot wrapped around a whole bunch of informative essays. Um, and I, th- I think of it more in that way than a regular novel. It's more like here's a whole bunch of ideas about things that are happening now in our culture. Um, and I'll just set set it a couple years in the future and see 
see if I can make a story out of it. And I think he did. I think, you know, he's, he's, it's a comment on our society. It's not a, um, it's not just a slick adventure. Right. And it does have a good human element. I mean, you are interested in the characters. Yep. Yep. You're interested in them and his relationships and stuff. What'd you think of the narrator? I thought he was good. I mean, he sounded, Hayward? Hayborn, yeah. I have it in front of me. Yeah, he was good. I mean, I thought he sounded like an 18-year-old kid. Yeah. Speaking kind of from his heart. I mean, I thought it worked good. I asked Corey about it at the con, and he said, yeah, you know, he kind of, he, he wasn't enthusiastic about it. He said, yeah, I thought he did a good reading, but I think authors sometimes, they hear their own voice in their head. So it's yeah. always a little heart adjustment when they hear another narrator do their own work. I, th- I think he did a much better job than Corey could have done. Oh, Corey's an okay reader. Um, I think he's better, you know, speaker than he is a, a narrator. Right, he reads a little fast, for one. Yeah, and I mean, also he doesn't do characterization very well. Right. He's not right. an actor. Right. Um, yeah, I think I, I was... I was so those are two recent books that I have uh, that I didn't write a review for, so there they are. Those are my reviews. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much, yep. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. Great. I don't... You guys haven't done a little brother in uh, review, have you? I just posted a link to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jesse did one a long while back. Oh, okay. Uh, June eighteenth. I guess that was last year. Yeah. You see it? The link there, Rick. Yep, I see yeah. it. Got a essential. Oh, okay, good. And I and I quoted one of the info dumps from the book. Uh, it shows it's like seven or seven paragraphs, something like that. But yeah. it's really it's really informative. I think it's a a a great way to tell a story. I, I'm down on people who don't like it. Well, I, mean, I it asked can't be him, done wrong, but uh, I know. asked him uh, if the, how's the feedback been. Has he has had he had any adverse responses to it that people really hated it or not? Mm-hmm. And he said, no, not really. Uh, you know, a few people on Amazon, which you're always going to get. You're always going to get some negative reviews on Amazon that thought he was just, you know, a communist or something. And uh, yeah, he is a communist, but that has nothing to do with it. Right. Oh, well, his parents were communists, but <laughs> no, seriously. But uh, yeah. yeah so it's, yeah, it's, I was. I, I kind of wondered. It had some sex in it too, which kind of surprised me for a YA novel. It had more sex in it than I. Then I've, ex- I, you know, I don't read a ton of YA, but it had more sex in it than I was expecting. I thought that was like taboo totally for, uh, no, terrorism's okay, but no sex, people. <laughs> yeah, violence is okay, swearing's, a, swearing's not okay, but yeah. Um, I think we forget that a, a lot of older stories do have that, um, but... What's that, sex? Uh, yeah, they do. They just... Well, not the, YA, though. No, I, I think that you can forget that some does, it's just not... It's common. I mean, uh, if we're going by YA Heinlein, Heinlein doesn't. Right? He never talks about sex, except when he's talking all about sex, right? And even then, right, he's well, mostly talking about, you know, other stuff around stuff. Yeah, w- w- his YA stuff doesn't have it. But Heinlein's not everybody. Heinlein had a weird perspective. I think there is some other stuff out there. I'm not recalling any, <laughs> but I think there must be some. Yeah, there's a lot of contemporary YA that is well-regarded that I've never, you know, read, so. Scott Westerfeld's name keeps coming up at these cons. I'm going to have to check out some of his stuff. Uh, yeah, what did he write? 
The Uglies series? Yeah, Uglies like and Pretties and uh, Extras. Okay. That sounds good. Yeah, I'm going to sample his stuff. I, yeah, I, I don't like the distinction between, you know, calling something YA versus versus something else. I, I think YA just means it's it's really accessible. It's, it's going to be um, a good introduction. But I don't think it's necessarily, uh, you know, should be only... A special genre unto itself. Well, you know, it's a yeah, it's, it's, a, a, it's mar- a way. Yeah, it's a it's a way for parents to be able to say, okay, yeah, this is at this kid's level of, you know, theme as well. Theme as well. I've got to, you know, read Little Brother and to find out if you know you're talking about sexual content and stuff. That's disturbing in some of the YA. I think it's uh, disingenuous to put a YA label on something that has um, adult themes in it. Well, it, I have to say, you know, it's not heavy. The sex is light, but still for a YA, I, was, uh-huh. I mean, he does have, like, sex in the book. It's not described graphically or anything, sure, unfortunately. Sure. But uh-huh. <laughs> you bet. Yeah, I did a review of A Case of Conscience uh, this week. I saw that. That's um, one of those I've never gotten around to reading. That's yeah, a case of conscience and zombies. That's what you, that'll turn you into a, a reader. Um, I found I found it uh, really good in the first half and sort of um, less good in the second half. If they had reversed the order, it would have been mm-hmm. uh, better. But it's really two separate novellas that were you know one following the other. But mm-hmm. um, when I, I I sort of changed my mind while I was writing it, I was thinking about what my disappointments were in it, and it basically was, you know, that it didn't, the revelations of the first book were better than, the, uh, the first half were better than the second half. Uh, but I'm, I still give it a essential because I think the first half works so well on its own, you could just stop halfway through. Um, it has that, you know, surprise. It's, it's very, um, very well thought out. And it's, um, it's uh, it's got a lot of deep thinking um, going on in inside inside a certain culture. Like basically, it's a it's a story of a Jesuit on a on an alien planet, and he's he's got to make a judgment about the people there uh, based on whether he thinks they have souls or not. And I, I I thought that that was a really good idea, and I think I think there's been a bit more of that, like uh, the Sparrow. What's what's a Mary, Ador- Mary Doria Russell? Russell, yeah. Yeah, I haven't read that, but I have a feeling that that's sort of a uh, spiritual successor to a case of conscience. And I've heard good things about it. Have you read that, Scott? I haven't read it. Huh? I have it here on my shelf, not on audio, but uh, hmm. hmm. I had the audio book. Um, a while back, I found a copy on eBay, and it was one of those uh, book cassettes from Brilliance, oh, and it double. wasn't it wasn't working. I'd, I'd play it well in whatever player I had. I, I put it in a player, and uh, I couldn't I couldn't get just the left channel. I mean, do you know what I'm saying? Do you remember those yeah, book cassettes? Yeah, I hated those. <laughs> anyway, it wasn't working. It was bleeding through. So. Um, you know, I, and I know I've listened to ones like that before. I used to, uh, with my Walkman, what I would do with those is put them in there and then just put one headphone in. 
you know, and then leave the other one out. But I would get bleed through. I, I could hear two narrations going on at the same time. So, mm, uh, yeah. So I couldn't listen to it. Well, uh, I'm gonna see if I can find a, a digital copy uh, on Audible or something because uh, I, I I thought it was really impressive. Um, just you know, t- tackling very science fictional ideas from a religious perspective, uh-huh. um, taking taking that. Um, Seriously, in the second half uh, of the book, we've got a situation where um, we're seeing the results of of a decision in the first half, and eventually uh, our protagonist goes to visit. Uh, he's on he's back on Earth, and he has to go to the Pope because he's committed a heresy. Um, and the Pope, you know, he you know you're expecting something, and then the Pope suggest something that is absolutely, you know, uh, should have been obvious in the first half of the of the novel, and you say, oh yeah, of course, and then uh, the ending gives you, you know, sort of this ambiguity that you know leaves you unsatisfied in a way that makes you very satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to talk about this novel without giving spoilers, um, I, and a lot of the. Even like Wikipedia's got spoilers. Most reviews seem to spoil the book in a in in a way, at least a little bit. Um, so I had a bit of a trouble explaining the story um, without that. But uh, it's also uh, it's also got a big thing on Finnegan's Wake. A big part of the story. It, I mean, the story starts with a, a reading from Finnegan's Wake, the James Joyce novel, and. Um, he was talking about in the beginning of the book. He was talking about how the main character was talking about how this was a um, a heresy, and I I couldn't understand what that meant. Uh, like there's a heresy in this book. Uh, have you heard anything about that, Scott? Um, yeah, I remember hearing a lecture about it, but I I read this so long ago that I can't tell you what that was. But Finnegan's uh, Wake or Case of Conscience? Both. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's like um, I, I tried to find it online. I couldn't find much in the way of there was there's a lot on the internet about uh, both books, but not mm-hmm. not discussion of of uh, how Finnegan's Wake has a uh, special place in in the in the Vatican Library of Bad Books or something like that. Huh. Uh, um, have you have you ever heard anything about Arthur C. Clarke, The Star? Because that one seems like it would be on that list. Yeah, too. that should be on that list too, in a way. Um, although I, I don't know. I, I think I think a lot of Christians like that one too. Yeah, I like it. It's one of the. It's a good book or a good story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah I remember really, you. Uh, I remember you asked. Uh, you know what? What was your? I don't know if it was the most influential story or whatever. Yeah. And you said it was the cold equations. Yeah. For you and for me, it was the star. Yeah. And, I'm uh, saying, what what's the what's the story that you know, if if you were to say, you know, what really blew your mind and you know, sort of shows what kind of story you like. Uh huh. Your yours is uh is 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 the star, and mine was cold equations. Um. What about you, Rick? What if if you were to? I was, I was waiting for that question. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think I'd actually go with uh, the time machine, H.G. Wells. Mm. Mm. 
showing the range, range of... kind of said, "Hey, this is science fiction. This is you know he nailed it with his first story." Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the way to go. You bet. I I don't like the fact that mine's really badly written. <laughs> Cold <laughs> Equations is a really badly written story, um, but I'm I'm more for I you know like it's the idea. The uh, I don't I can I can suffer through a bad story if it's got a, a badly written story if it's got an idea that blows my mind. Yeah, it's a great story. It is. I think yep. Time Machine and The Star are both very well written. Uh, so you got you guys got that going for you. And uh, Time Machine's you know it's such a such a um, groundbreaker. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Star is such a. Um, it's a safe bet when I throw that one out there. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I don't... I don't yeah. like, oh, what are you thinking? <laughs> well, I think a lot of people would... You know, a lot of science fiction writers would say, you know... Especially early ones would say, that's the one. You know, the one that blew them away. Mm-hmm. Hey, I just sent you guys a link to uh, PinguaCon. Mm-hmm. on to me. And I just brought it, I just wanted to bring it up because I'm going to be there. And I just talked to the con chair. It sounds like I'll be doing some of the, I'll be on some of the panels and stuff. Cool. And hopefully, do you see the uh, the literary guest of honor? Mm. About four names over there. Mm, celebrities, events, features, where are we? Right at the top, it says guests of honor include Will Wheaton and Spider Robinson. Oh, I see. All right. Hack of oh, honor is candy fab. What's a hack of honor? Oh, like a hack of oh, this bad is the open, This is the no. This is the open source. So it'd be like a computer ah, hack. Nifty this guess. Is the science fiction slash open source convention. That is awesome. That's <laughs> that's like a that's dream right there. Well, you got Stephen Ely there too. Yep, yep. That's a, we're going to be hopefully kind of doing a podcast track there. That's awesome. I. I just got to talk it with the con chair at the that last convention I went to, and he's like really enthusiastic. So, should be a great con. So That's come cool. on out, guys. Oh, and I'd love to. <laughs> Romulus, Michigan. Yeah, just snipe me into the country. Detroit Metro Airport. Oh, is that what that is? Okay. Yeah, it's right by Detroit. That's where Detroit Metro Airport is. Romulus. Oh man, that'd be fun. Gotta like Spider Robinson. Sorry, buddy. Can't yeah. make it. <laughs> I'm hopefully. I'm hoping to do a live time traveler show with Spider. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. Good. Read. He's he, he's probably gonna. He's a podcasting guy himself. Have you heard his right. podcast? Oh yes. Oh man. I the the readings he does are great. He gets mm-hmm. some great stories. Oh, no, well, he's, he's a terrific narrator. I put him and uh, him and Neil Gaiman and Harlan Ellison are three authors who can uh, really be great narrators. Who really are yeah. great narrators. That's a great list, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be it's my true. first three. I would come to mind too. Mm-hmm. It's true. Uh, yeah, he did that one Fred Pohl story. Mm-hmm. I, I know you did a write-up something about it. On, uh, the persistence web- of vision is that the one? That's John Varley. That was great. Oh. What's the one you're thinking of? Oh, it's where the aliens take over the guy's mind and can control him, and he only has brief respites from that to live his life. Uh, passengers? Is that what's called? No, that's a Silverberg story. I'd have to. I don't. I can't remember the title by name, but it was really, really modern and upsetting and sexual and and. Uh, who, who? What's the? What's the one you're thinking of? Fred Pohl wrote it. That's all I can tell you. Oh, um, you're. Th- that's not. Um, that's it's the. 
I know the one you mean. That's um Spider the Web podcast. Yeah. Um that's it's like uh so short. It's a really short one. God. That one should be you know how you do those three five what what what's what's Five pre favorites, yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, I've got one written up, and I just have four titles. So you know what? I should add. Uh, I should add that in. You're right. I'm trying to remember the name of that. Persistence of Vision Options. Not that one. Um, a few, few words. Uh, okay, here it is. I've got it. It's called uh, Day Million, or We Purchase People. We purchase people, so on. Ah, okay. We purchase people. I, I, I think Day Million is one of those stories that people could choose as a, uh, you know, a, a favorite defining story. Um, right. It's so short. It says that so much. Yeah, that's short. It says so much in such a short period of time, and it does it, it, what you know all good science fiction does. It's it sort of uh, destroys your uh, your senses of what's possible. Um, I think, I think, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I keep talking about it on this podcast, uh, about this book I'm reading called Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me. And, um, uh, one of the things it talks about is, uh, how people get into the, uh, misund- people who get into, um, uh, certain fields of pr- profession sometimes uh, believe that their skills are greater than they actually are. So, for example, it talks about how police often will be con- convinced that they are very good at telling whether someone is lying or not. And in interrogations, they will convince themselves that they know when someone's lying, when, in fact, their chances of being right are no greater than chance. Um and what it is 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 they've they've uh, become so experienced and they've had so much training, and they thought that that training was scientifically based. So uh, when they are wrong, they can't believe that they could be wrong. When the evidence confronts them against what they believe, uh, they just reject that evidence. And what it's what it was saying is basically uh, uh, the scientific method and science is. A form of arrogance control. It, can, it prevents you from believing in things that are uh, outside of your your experience, outside of your your worldview. And I think yeah. I think that that's one of the things that science fiction is really good at is is checking what you believe to be possible by constantly throwing at you uh, plausible but unreal or counterfactual evidence. Um, and so yeah. a, a story like Day Million is like, just, it's, a, it's a story about a guy who's not really a guy. <laughs> what? It's a, yeah, it's, it's kind of a transhuman type story. Absolutely. With, it's absolutely uh, transhuman. Before you say a term transhuman, I think. It's trans everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm really impressed by it. Well, there you go. Uh-huh. Yeah, we, pur- we pur- purchase people is also um, very, um, uh, you know, it's cr- breaking boundaries and such. I would say that's not a YA story. I, I was freaked out by that story. Yeah, 
yeah, that was that was one of those that make you feel uncomfortable. Absolutely. In a, in a good way, though. <laughs> this has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. <laughs>